Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. This is the second half of our last pair of candidate interviews ahead of the November 8th general election, and we're talking with Judge Elizabeth Liz Rochford, the Democrat in the 2nd Judicial District who is facing off against former Lake County Sheriff Mark Curran. It's especially pertinent to our listeners in DeKalb, Kane, Kendall, Lake, and McHenry counties who will be represented by the winning candidate for a 10-year term. Rochford, who has served as a 19th Judicial Circuit judge since her appointment to the bench in 2012, received high ratings from the Illinois State Bar Association and other legal associations. She served more than 22 years as commissioner on the Illinois Court of Claims, three years as an assistant state's attorney in Cook County, and 13 years in private practice. Curran is a Republican and former Lake County Sheriff, who has most recently been in the news as the GOP candidate for U.S. Senate in 2020, losing the longtime incumbent Democrat Dick Durbin. He's also had a career in law for over 30 years, serving in the state attorney general's office and Cook and Lake County state's attorney's offices. He has long served as a private practice attorney, although he has never served as a judge. His interview can be found at the same place you're listening to this one. In this interview, Rochford speaks at length about her administrative and judicial experience and how she's used that to improve things in Lake County. But she is reluctant to speak to some of the more controversial topics discussed, citing a long-standing practice of judicial candidates steering clear of political and partisan rhetoric, as well as any commentary that would give away how she would rule in any given circumstance. Still, her website makes clear that she's a champion of women's rights, she has endorsements from some of the state's abortion rights advocates, and campaign funds that are backing her have run ads highlighting Curran's past anti-abortion rhetoric. As well, she received $500,000 from Governor J.B. Pritzker, a noted abortion rights champion. So while Rochford doesn't touch on it in our interview, abortion has become a major part of this campaign, and it's something touched on more directly in our corresponding interview with Curran. So without further ado... Here's our conversation with Judge Elizabeth Liz Rochford. Yeah, we'll just uh, start off. Thank you for uh, appearing with us here today. Uh, we're certainly interested in what happens with the Supreme Court. And we'll start off with what do you think is at stake uh, in this election? And why are you the, the candidate for uh, the office at this time? Well, uh, the work of the Supreme Court is very important to every aspect of our lives as Illinoisans, and who sits on the court is is critically important. I think um, it's essential that the Supreme Court justice has proper credentials and experience um, to to sit on the court. And these openings don't happen very often. It's been in the second district twenty two years since there was an open a seat open for election. And it could be a very long time before that happens again, because uh, the term is 10 years. And after 10 years, it's a retention ballot. So it's a yes, no a ballot as opposed to an open election. So it could be um, even much longer before there is another open election. So um, critically important position and doesn't happen very often. So that is what is at stake. Uh, I, I was sort of curious. We've seen just twice this year um, Supreme Court justices announcing their retirement before the end of their 10-year term. 
so that a hand-picked replacement uh, can be put in there for a couple of years uh, and then run as an incumbent. Um, I'm wondering if you think that's really fair um, or if there should be another way of handling it. So it's not for me to, not for me to yeah. sit in, in judgment of those uh, decisions, certainly. But interestingly, in this particular district, the second district, um, the, these Supreme Court maps were drawn in 1964. Uh, the second district used to include 13 counties, including DuPage and the a whole top of Illinois from Lake County on the east to uh, Joe Davies on the West and including DuPage. And so this redraw for the first time since 1964 created a district that is very different than the one prior. It's five counties as opposed to 13. And when DuPage had formerly been the biggest county in the district, now Lake County is the biggest in the district. So that's the race that I'm focused on. So we, you had mentioned sort of experience on the job, and we did note that the State Bar Association uh, has you as highly recommended. Uh, your opponent is not recommended. What does that say about your judicial temperament? What does that say about your experience and the race in general? So I'd like to supplement that. That's absolutely correct that the Illinois State Bar Association has found me highly recommended. There are two other evaluating independent bar associations that have done assessments. The Lake County Bar Association, which found me highly qualified, and the DuPage County Bar Association, which also found me highly recommended. And my opponent's been found not recommended by all of the evaluating bar associations. And that process is a very intense process. Uh, it's very exhaustive and it's done by a panel of attorneys um, who and retired judges who have worked across a vast scope of areas of practice are from different political backgrounds and they assess a whole number of things including integrity impartiality legal ability temperament court management and character and it's based on your experience in and around the courthouse so I am very proud to have earned those highest recommendations and um, from all of the reviewing bar associations, because I think it speaks very well to uh, the broad scope of my experience over 35 years in law. Are there interviews involved with that? Or you said just mostly based on your, is it court observation or uh, reading your decisions or? Uh, so there's an extensive written application that you submit in advance of the evaluation. And then for each of these three bar associations, there was also a, an oral interview, an interview in person. Two of them were by Zoom. One was actually physically in person. And you are subject to a great number of questions about your career and all of the totality of your experience, including experience in the courtroom, specifics about um, cases you have had, uh, leadership, and also uh, service. You know, I know uh, when most people think of the Supreme Court, 
you know, they think of the cases and the decisions that come down. Uh, but a state Supreme Court also has a lot of administrative duties. Uh, is there anything out there, in, you know, within your district or statewide administratively that you think the Supreme Court could help improve in order to improve court services generally? I will start by saying courts can always be improved. I think we're working very hard and doing an excellent job, but there is always room for improvement. And some of the work that I have done both lo locally in leadership, so, and also to just expand on your uh, comment, which is 100% accurate. Of course, the Illinois Supreme Court is hearing some of the biggest, most important cases and most consequential cases. But there is a substantial administrative role for the Illinois Supreme Court, which includes oversight of all of the courts across the state. It also includes appointing judges. It includes educating judges, disciplining judges where necessary, overseeing the admission of attorneys, and setting broad scoped policies for courts across the state to follow. And some of my experience both at the local level in leadership as a past president of the Lake County Bar Association on the board of governors of the Illinois State Bar Association as the third vice president currently of the Illinois Judges Association is essential in being in touch with the people who are working in and around the courthouse to really understand the challenges that they are facing. Additionally, I serve on several Supreme Court committees have been appointed by the Supreme Court to work on projects advancing their broad scoped initiatives. Like for example, the Supreme Court issued a mandate to all courts to provide access to justice for all people, especially the poor and the vulnerable. But actually translating that gorgeous lofty intangible into boots on the ground reality is a challenge. And I've been very involved in that process, locally setting up programs that that translate that gorgeous lofty intangible like for example a uh, guardianship help desk to help families who are where parents are absent another person needs to be um, have legal authority over a child to make decisions about their health and their welfare and their education and they're in crisis and they're trying to navigate a complicated legal system so we established, about 15 years ago, a help desk that has evolved through COVID, but is still very active in assisting those families. Also creating a, I created the, the first of its kind in Lake County, a courtroom committed to serving self-represented litigants in family law. So in family law, you are um, have everything you care about most at risk, your children, your home, your finances. And if you're without financial resources to hire an attorney, you're out there navigating the process on your own. So we created a courtroom to really provide access to justice for those people. And now I've served on these statewide committees, taking what we've learned and helping other jurisdictions implement some of the strategies. But one of the wonderful things that I have learned in the process is how different the jurisdictions are across the state of Illinois. So sometimes access to justice looks very different from one place to another. And so having that experience and opportunity has been really wonderfully eye-opening for me because sometimes 
you think the way that you do it is right and best, but then you realize it's not always possible in every location. So, um, so I've learned an enormous amount in the process about implementing lofty goals. You mentioned uh, self-represented litigants, pro se litigants, um, and that's something that the administrative office kind of keeps track of. According to them, most of them, as you described, uh, in, are in family court, uh, whether it's divorce cases, uh, orders of protection, those sorts of things. But uh, there was a report that came out a few years ago that said as many as two thirds of the litigants uh, of the case, civil cases uh, outside of Cook County had at least one self-represented uh, litigant. Uh, and I'm thinking probably a lot of debt collection cases, things of that sort. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about what do you, what you think the courts can do? I mean, do, do we need to have court appointed attorneys in family law and, and civil law, just like we do in criminal law? So it's a, it's a complicated, there's, there's no simple answer to how we best allow for all people to have um, access to justice in the courthouse. And that's the ultimate goal, obviously. And what we learned in Lake County was that 50% um, of the new filings in family law, but this runs across civil courts of all kind, uh, the, at least one um, self-represented litigant was um, one of the parties and 50% or more of the cases. So it's a reality of what courts are facing and what communities are facing. And so how do we actually serve them best? And that has been a real journey for me. I started by studying, taking, taking kind of an academic approach and studying courts all across the country and what they were doing, and then taking from them, learning from them. Also studied courts all across Illinois to see what they were doing. And then we um, kind of integrated the things that we thought would best work here in Lake County and created this courtroom that was dedicated to self-represented litigants. And it was a whole great variety of things that make a big difference. Sometimes it's as simple as where that courtroom is located so it's accessible to people in and out of the courthouse. And that it's also in a place where it's easily accessible to things like the law library, the clerk's office, you know, to kind of uncomplicate every bit of the process. Things like signage in the courtroom, making it clear where people are supposed to go and what they're supposed to do, giving them clear instructions, talking to them in simple terms, terms that everyday people understand as opposed to legalese, complicated legal words that are very much lost on the litigants. Things like, you know, one of the things that I observed over the course of time was that I could engage with a self-represented litigant and I, they would seem to be fully comprehending everything that I'm saying. In fact, sometimes I'd ask them to repeat it back, they would, and I would think, oh gosh, they've got it. And I'd send them off to wherever they were going next. And what I found out is that people are in a little bit of a state of shock when they're in a courtroom. It's a scary place to be, and especially when you have so much at personally at risk. So we started doing simple things like a prescription, I called it a prescription pad, where if they were going some other place that we would indicate where they were going 
and a little bit about what to expect when they got there. For example, if I'm sending someplace to the Department of Health and Family Services, they're going to need a birth certificate. Why not let them know that before they get all the way to that location and not have the documents that they need? Sometimes it's very simple things. I, in the process of my exploration of how to best serve self-represented litigants, I started personally walking in the shoes of those litigants. Every place that we might send them from the courthouse, I started going myself to see what the process was like in the other end. And I learned so very much. And then when you add complications like having three little children in tow, being in a wheelchair, having a physical or a mental disability, having no money or um, no transportation resources, those kinds of things can even further complicate the process. So some of it is understanding what the challenges are from the perspective of the self-represented litigant. And for me, it has been walking through the door of the courthouse through the public entrance, as opposed to only the privileged access of the chamber door. And that has been so eye-opening for me to understand um, simple ways that we can really help self-represented litigants navigate the process. And I will tell you that I was um, one time talking to some college students about all of the changes we had implemented in the courthouse to help SRLs, as we call them, self-represented litigants. And a college student very respectfully said, you know, that's great, Judge, but it seems like those things are pretty simple, like obvious, right? And, and the truth is, they were simple and they were obvious, but only if we were looking for them, only if we were really opening our minds to how we can do things better to serve people in a way that they can have true access to resolution in the court process. So for our listeners, um, there's a prohibition on, on judges sort of telegraphing where they're going to decide on issues, where they stand on issues or something like that. So this may be a different type of interview than uh, with other candidates. But um, Judge, in, in the capacity that you can, are there any particularly important decisions that you've made that stand out in your mind or any decisions that ch challenging or anything you've made a mistake on in your career? Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's there's a couple pieces of that. Um, first of all, you are 100% right. We, uh, a judge, a sitting judge, or a and a judicial candidate are bound by the canons of judicial ethics. And so it puts us in a different place than other candidates for other offices, like legislative offices or executive branch offices. We cannot speak on behalf of a political party. We cannot... Um, in any way appear to commit to outcomes on cases. So matters that could potentially come before the Supreme Court, I can't tell you um, how I might rule on them or tell you my opinion on them because that would be a demonstration of a, of a potential bias. And I will tell you that after 10 years on the bench, when you put the black robe on, all of your personal opinions and you know predispositions are at the door and you really are addressing the facts as they are before you and applying the rule of law. That's the work of the court. But in terms of um, important decisions that I have made, so I've been in the criminal division. Um, I'm currently in the probate division, but I was also in the family division for six years. And I know that the work in the courthouse 
addressing matters related to families and children is of absolute top priority because it's our future. And I can tell you that those decisions are not always easy. I spent many hours of sleepless nights agonizing over some of the difficult decisions that I've had to make. And I certainly hope that I've gotten them right. Um, but I'm imperfect, I'm human. And, you know, um, we certainly do on occasion make mistakes, even when we have been very um, dedicated to doing everything right. Um, I, you know, I've been, my work has been the subject of appeal on 22 occasions, and I have been affirmed in all of those uh, cases that were sent up for appellate review. I, and two single issues. So in, in appeal, there can be multiple issues that are appealed, and there were two single issues that were reversed and remanded. But um, my record on appeal is, is very good. And I think it's another demonstration of how sincerely I take this work and um, how, how much I care about each and every case that comes before me. And you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, people will say, oh, that's a big case or that's a small case. The truth is when litigants are in your courtroom, when it's their case, it's the most important case in the courthouse. And I recognize that. I, I wanted to follow up on that issue of impartiality. Um, your campaign recently uh, touted the fact that you've been endorsed by a number of organizations and uh, lawmakers and other public officials. A lot of those organizations are labor organizations any one of whom could eventually have business before the Supreme Court. So I'm just sort of wondering, how do you separate, I guess it, it, this kind of goes with the territory when you have an elected judiciary, you still have to raise money, you have to appeal for votes. So how do you separate your role as a political candidate and then being a judge in a case in which one of your supporters may be uh, before you? Such a great question, Peter. And the truth is, yes. So here in Illinois, we elect Supreme Court justices. I, I believe 21 states in the country elect Supreme Court justices. Only eight, as I recall, do it in partisan elections. And we are one of those eight. So this is the system that we are operating in. And it is especially challenging for judges because we're not speaking again on behalf of political party. We can't solicit funds for fundraising. And so some of these things are kept very separate, like the financial piece. I have nothing to do with it. I'm not involved in it in any way. Um, there's a complete brick wall between me and the money. In terms of endorsements, um, you know, it uh, when I have submitted my applications for endorsement to each and every one of the parties or people who have ultimately endorsed me, I have made it very clear that I'm not making any promises about rulings on cases. And I will also say that it is not an easy thing to do, but it's something that comes with experience. And over the course of 10 years on the bench, and before that, um, 23 years on the Court of Claims, hearing cases filed against the state of Illinois, I have gained that precise experience that's necessary to separate those things. and to really be very focused on. And I know sometimes it's difficult, but it is 
the law really establishes a very clear path when you've got the facts and you have the law and you consider those together, um, the, the true and right answer reveals itself. And in your ruling, if you have properly explained to the parties how you reached it, even when people are disappointed by a ruling, they usually walk away satisfied because they understand that they've been heard, they've had an opportunity at to, to be fully engaged in the judicial legal process, and that the decision was ultimately based on facts and law, not emotion, not relationships, not bias. So that's how I do it. So I, I wanted to ask, I think with the with the redrawing of districts, you might be in a different district, but uh, Justice uh, Kilbride was the first Supreme Court justice not to uh, gain retention, as you had noted. There's ten year terms, and and then justices are basically up for retention. Um, what what do you think that said about the court? Maybe the political climate? Um, are things changing when it comes to retention for judges? Um, you know, I don't know. That was uh, an isolated situation uh, when Justice Kilbride was not retained. I believe it was the first time in history in Illinois that that took that happened. That's not the district that I am from. I'm from the second district that was in the third district. You know, certainly there are, you know, people, there, there are a lot of people who are engaged in um, very extreme political views and, um, but that's not where I live, <laughs> you know. I live in the work of the courts and I am very focused on the work that is presented to me. And that's where, you know, I, that's where I, my, my direction is, that's what I'm trained to do. That's what I do best. And really political commentary is not my forte. And so, you know, I never considered myself a politician. I guess I am one now for the last 14 months when I unexpectedly found myself running for the Illinois Supreme Court. Um, and I've learned certainly a lot in the in the political process, but I, I don't consider myself an expert by any means on politics or certainly able to comment on um, political future. I'm just hoping that my own political future uh, and candidacy uh, is successful in November. So that's where my focus is. Um, you know, there was one on the tip of my tongue. I, I guess you touched on it a little bit. I'm just wondering, we live in an age now where when the US Supreme Court or any federal court hands down a controversial decision, people immediately try look at what president appointed them. Uh, we live in a hyper-political environment. And, and Jerry was pointing out that, you know, has bled over into the Illinois Supreme Court where we had a judge who was not retained. Um, I'm just sort of wondering about your feelings about that. Uh, has it gotten too political? Uh, is that a healthy thing for democracy, do you think? Well, I know this for certain, that if the judiciary does not have integrity and independence, that is a threat to democracy. And I know that there's no perfect way to put judges on the bench. The, the other states that don't do it by election 
uh, do it by appointment. And somebody, either some group or some person is making those appointments. And there's, there's always opportunity uh, for criticism in the process. And it's, it's certainly imperfect. But I myself was appointed as a judge 10 years ago. And I was appointed by a group of circuit judges who were a mix of political party and a variety, working in a variety of areas of law in the court. And I hope that they are very proud of the appointment that they make and that I have done nothing except advance uh, integrity and independence on the bench. And, you know, here I am now running. So I have the other experience where I'm actually putting myself, exposing myself to the the voting population and trying to earn the confidence of the voter and ultimately their vote. And it's a different process and has its challenges. It's certainly uh, an interesting experience, but I have really enjoyed it. And what you pointed out, Peter, is that the Illinois Supreme Court has gained some attention from many people. It's created this wonderful opportunity for us to be out talking to people about the work of the courts. So now when I'm walking door to door and I'm at street fests and I'm engaging people and talking about judicial elections, you know, it's important to note that judges are very dead last on the ballot. And so sometimes by the time people get to the end of the ballot, they think, holy cow, I don't know these judges. I don't know anything about them. I'm not prepared. And some of the recent rulings that are very controversial, obviously, from the United States Supreme Court have really sparked people's interest in the work of the courts. And it's been wonderful to be able to engage and talk about how important the work of the courts is and um, how they operate and how judges are uh, put into their positions. And so in many ways, there's been this, this really energizing opportunity to talk about this important work. And the, you know, the co-equal branch of government, the judiciary, that sometimes is overlooked. Okay. All right. We appreciate your time and the conversation. And yeah, thank you for thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was our interview with Judge Rochford. It's the last of our special election interviews with candidates. You can find interviews with the other judicial candidates and all of the major party statewide candidates for office at the same place you're listening to this one. As always, thank you for listening.